Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. On with the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was April 21st, 1966. Four men from the Madison Society, one of the earliest gay rights groups in the United States, staged a so-called sip-in at Julius's, a tavern in New York City. At the time, gay people were discriminated against in bars. There was not an outright law that prohibited bars from serving gay folks, but the New York State Liquor Authority did require bars to only serve people who had orderly conduct. So bar staff would often deem same-sex displays of affection disorderly and refuse gay people service. If a bar did serve gay people, it faced the threat of having its liquor license revoked and being raided by police. So to protest this discrimination, member of the Madison Society New York chapter Dick Leitch decided to stage a sip-in, inspired by the sit-ins of the civil rights movement. His fellow Madison Society members Craig Rodwell and John Timmons joined him in the demonstration. The plan was for them to go to a bar and tell the bartender that they were gay, and if the bartender refused them service, then they would sue the bar and the liquor authority. So the men invited four newspaper reporters to cover the sip-in. And just after noon on April 21st, 1966, they met with the reporters at the Ukrainian American Village Hall, the bar they planned on starting at that proudly displayed a sign saying, if you are gay, please stay away. But the bar shut down after they realized reporters were hanging around for a gay rights demonstration. So the men moved the party across the street to a club called The Dom, which also was closed. Finally, they got to a bar called Howard Johnson's and sat in a corner booth. They handed the waitress a note that said the following, We are homosexuals. We believe that a place of public accommodation has an obligation to serve an orderly person and that we are entitled to service so long as we are orderly. But they didn't get the response they were hoping for. Not only did the guys get their drinks, they got them on the house. They moved on to a tiki bar owned by the mafia called Waikiki, where they were also served without question. So they decided to go to Julius's, which was a gay bar but had been raided just days before, so it was under the threat of having its liquor license taken away. Madison Society member Randy Wicker joined them at the bar. Sure enough, the bartender at Julius's refused them service after they announced they were gay. The New York Times issued an article called Three Deviates Invite Exclusion by Bars the Next Day. Two weeks later, the Village Voice ran a story on the event. Since the sip-in got some coverage, Donald S. Hostetter, the chairman of the State Liquor Authority, responded by saying that SLA never threatened to revoke the liquor licenses of bars that served gay people, and that the discretion to serve was left up to the bartenders. But soon, the Commission on Human Rights stepped in, saying that it had jurisdiction over the matter and that gay people have the right to be served in bars. The Madison Society went on to sue bars that refused gay people service in New Jersey, which led to a state Supreme Court case ruling declaring, quote, well-behaved homosexuals could not be denied service. In 1967, New York state courts struck down the idea that gay people were inherently disorderly. 
the liquor authority could no longer use that as a reason to revoke licenses. And in the years after the ruling, more licensed gay bars popped up. But even though gay folks could now be served alcohol at bars, same-sex displays of affection were still outlawed, and police continued to harass and raid gay bars. Three years after the sip-in, a raid at a gay bar in Greenwich Village called the Stonewall Inn led to an uprising pivotal in the LGBTQ rights movement. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at T-D-I-H-C Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that proves history happens every day. The day was April 21st, 1934. The Daily Mail printed a photo of what was said to be the Loch Ness Monster. The image, known as the surgeon's photograph, is widely believed to be a hoax. Loch Ness is a lake in Scotland. The myth of the cryptid known as the Loch Ness Monster may have its origins all the way back in the first century CE. The Picts, peoples who lived in Scotland many centuries ago, carved an image of a beast with an elongated beak. And Scottish folklore does contain stories about mythical water creatures, such as the Kelpie, which is a shape-shifting water spirit. Stories around mythical creatures inhabiting Loch Ness, specifically, were also documented hundreds of years ago. According to a biography about St. Columba, the saint encountered a beast in the River Ness. The River Ness is a river at the northern end of Loch Ness. There were several other references to large, mysterious creatures in Loch Ness documented before the 20th century. But the modern legend of the Loch Ness Monster began to form in the 1930s. In April of 1933, Aldi and John McKay were driving home when they reportedly saw a huge animal in Loch Ness. On May 2nd, the Inverness Courier published a story on the sighting. The story was written by a reporter named Alex Campbell, and its headline was Strange Spectacle on Loch Ness. What was it? In the article, Campbell reported that the creature's body resembled a whale's. After, quote, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, the creature, quote, disappeared in a boiling mass of foam. Campbell's story was embellished. Later, the McKays clarified their sighting. Aldi saw an object of some sort, but John only saw splashing. And Aldi saw two dark humps, not one body that resembled a whale. After the story was published, interest in the legend of the Loch Ness Monster grew. Some people were skeptical of the existence of a monster, while others reported more sightings of the beast. London newspapers sent correspondents to Scotland, a circus offered a reward for capturing the monster, and some people claimed seeing the creature on land. The Daily Mail even hired big game hunter Marmaduke Wetherill to find the monster. He reported finding the footprints of a large animal, but plaster casts of the footprints were sent to the Natural History Museum in London for analysis. The museum determined that the footprints had been made with a stuffed hippo foot that may have been the base of an umbrella stand or ashtray. But eyewitness accounts continued to pop up. 
1934, it was alleged that English physician Robert Kenneth Wilson photographed the creature. The photo was published in the Daily Mail on April 21st, 1934. The blurry image appeared to show a creature with a long neck, small head, and back emerging from the waters of Loch Ness. Over the years, skeptics dismissed the object in the image as driftwood or an elephant. Others challenged the scale of the object in the photo, which is often presented cropped. Others believe that it is a hoax that was part of an elaborate revenge plot by Marmaduke Wetherill. But there were also people who believed the photo was of some unidentified creature. Some have suggested that Nessie, as the monster is known, is a plesiosaur that survived extinction. Many people have flocked to Loch Ness to investigate the myth or in the hopes of getting a glimpse of the monster. Researchers have even used camera surveillance and sonar to explore Loch Ness. There's no conclusive evidence that proves the Loch Ness monster exists, but the legend persists. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or if you have any suggestions for the show, you can send them to us via social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.